You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. It was on Paul's first missionary journey that he established and that he founded the church in Galatia. But soon after he left, some teachers from Jerusalem came and they began to preach a different message from what Paul had preached. Paul said that we are saved by putting our trust in Christ and what Christ has done for us on the cross. But these new teachers said, yes. You're saved by putting your trust in Christ, but you must also be circumcised. And so Paul writes this letter to refute the false teaching of these new teachers that are called Judaizers and to rebuke the Galatians for their acceptance of it. It It's because of what was at stake that this letter is the most intense, the most passionate of all of Paul's letters that he wrote, because he realized that not merely his own reputation as an apostle, but the gospel itself was at stake. The gospel was being distorted. And so he wrote this fiery message that is just as relevant for us today as it was when it was being written to the Galatians. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to see how Paul being a Pharisee, a a teacher of the law, lays out this argument in defense of the gospel. So he lays out six different arguments. And so a lot of this is going to sound the same as we go through it, but it's presented in six different ways. And today, uh, we're going to look at the scriptural argument of why Paul is coming against this teaching From our text, we're going to see that Paul answers three questions that all of us have either faced or are currently facing or we're going to face it. And that's, how do we find God's approval? How do we enter into favored fellowship with him? And finally, how do we come into a right relationship with God? So we're in Galatians 3, and our text begins in verse 10. It's 10 through 14. It's in your handout. It's also going to be projected on the media screens. Um, It says, those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised 
Holy Spirit through faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, I'm thankful that I can share your word with my brothers and sisters. Father, I just ask that our hearts would be open to you as you teach us by your Holy Spirit today. May my words be edifying. May they be uh, full of grace. Father, may they be clear, understandable. Father, that you would show us maybe a new aspect of your love and your grace that we haven't seen before. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So question number one, how do we find God's approval? How do we find the approval of God? Have you noticed how hard we work at trying to find the approval or the favor of another person? It's an instinct desire that we all have to be accepted. You know, a child desires the approval of her parents. An employee works hard to gain the employer's favor. And all of us seek to be accepted by others, even though we may not be aware of our actions. Well, in a similar fashion, people are looking for the approval of God. Whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously. And that's why every people group in the face of the earth is religious to some extent. And the question that every world religion is trying to answer is, how can I find God's approval? Well, before we answer that question, I want us to look at the description of a person who has found the favor of God. We see from Galatians chapter 3 that it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. And so we see that a person who has found the approval of God is described in two different ways. First, he's described as being made right with God. That's justified before God. And that word justified can be uh, described or defined as just as if I had never sinned. And to be justified before God is the exact opposite of being condemned by God. John Stott was a pastor and evangelist in the Church of England, and he ministered to London's urban poor for many, many years prior to his death. He put it this way when talking about justification. He said, It is to be declared righteous, to be accepted, to stand in his favor and under his smile. A person who has been justified before God has found favor with God. I like that phrase in there, stands in his favor and under his smile. Can you imagine God smiling over you? Well, the second description of a person who has found favor with God is found in the last part of that verse where it says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And the life that Paul is referring to here, it isn't our physical, biological life. It's not the life of this age, but it's spiritual, it's eternal, it's of the age to come. And Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, that this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And so now we start to put together this logic 
that a person who will live, who has eternal life, has found fellowship with God. Because we can't be in fellowship with God until we are in favor with him. Remember, justification means to be in favor with God. And so once we are in favor with God, we are also granted fellowship with him. But have you noticed that as we try to obey the law, you know, to perform our religious duties, that we don't find God's favor, but we find that we're condemned by the law. The Judaizers were teaching that the way to find God's approval is through the complete obedience of the law. And so for a person to enter into favor and fellowship with God, he needed to do everything that's written in the book of the law. And Paul strongly disagrees, and he he says that observing the law, if you do this, if you rely on observing the law, that you're under a curse. And he supports his statement by paraphrasing Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, where he says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Reading through a commentary on Galatians by Warren Worsby, he said, Salvation could never come by obedience to the law because the law brings a curse, not a blessing. See, the law demands obedience, and this means obedience in all things. And he went on to say that the law is not a religious cafeteria where we walk down a buffet line and we pick and we choose which laws we're going to obey. As I was reading this, I got to thinking about all of the strange laws that are still on the books here in Arizona. For instance, did you know that in Mojave County, Anyone caught stealing soap must wash himself with it until it is all used up. And in Nogales, there's an ordinance against wearing suspenders. Wonder how they keep their pants on. Now forget about riding your horse up the the stairs of the courthouse in Prescott because that's not permitted either. And you'll like this one. In Tombstone... It is illegal for anyone over the age of 18 to have less than one missing tooth visible when smiling. (laughs) In Kingman, your donkey can't sleep in your bathtub. Here's one that maybe you didn't know. I I didn't know it, but uh, I was kind of shocked to see it. That in Tucson, there's still a law in the books that declares that women may not wear pants. You can't spit in Goodyear. And you're not allowed to play cards in the street with a Native American in Globe. And in Hayden, if you bother the cottontails or the bullfrogs, you'll be fined. Now, how many of us are guilty of breaking at least one of these laws? Yeah, I thought so. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 27... The people of Israel were given instructions for a ceremony to be held once they entered into the promised land. And in this ceremony, 12 curses were to be recited. And it's the 12th and the final curse that Paul recites or quotes in verse 10 of our text. You see, Paul knew these curses well. 
Not only had he read them and studied them in the book of Deuteronomy, but he had heard them recited on five memorable occasions. You see, five times Paul was punished by the Jews for preaching the gospel. And each time he received the standard punishment, which is 40 lashes minus one. And the synagogue manuals of the time required that someone read aloud the curses of the law as the prisoner is being whipped. And so it's quite possible that Paul may have heard these very words as he received the last stripe on his back. And he quotes these to the Galatians that cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey the commands that are written in God's book of the law. The Judaizers were probably using this same passage to argue that those that don't observe the law, the circumcision, the dietary laws, etc., are under a curse. But Paul uses this verse to argue that those who don't perfectly observe and obey everything that is written in the law, that they are cursed. The Judaizers were focusing on the word do. It's up to you to do this, to perform and to fulfill these laws. But Paul emphasizes the word everything, that you have to perfectly observe the law and do everything that is written in there. God requires nothing less than total obedience to his law. In James chapter 2 and verse 10, we read that a person who keeps the laws, all of the laws except for one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. In other words, for the legalist, you must not only obey the moral law of God, that is the Ten Commandments, but you must also obey the ceremonial law, circumcision, dietary laws, feasts, festivals, and everything that encompasses the law. Paul states that, Everyone who tries to earn God's favor by attempting to do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. And this word cursed doesn't just mean to be denounced. It means to be rejected. Disobedience to God's law always brings under the curse of God. And it exposes us to the awful penalties of his judgment. And so question number two. How can we enter into favored fellowship with God? Well, Paul continues his argument in verse 11. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. Favor with God does not come by means of obedience to the law because the righteous will live by faith. And here Paul is quoting Habakkuk 2.4 as proof that God's favor doesn't come by obedience to the law, but by faith. And it's not just a matter of having faith. We all have faith. We go through life with faith. We have faith that when we got in our car, it would start and would get us to church. We have faith that when we turn on the light switch, that we have lights. So all of us function in what we believe. And so it's not a matter of having faith in the law, that makes us righteous. But we have to have faith rather in Christ Jesus, the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verses 17, that I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And so we see that legalism and faith are mutually exclusive. You can't combine them as a means of entering into favor of God. It's either through legalism or through faith. And the law is not based on faith. So those that are trying to earn God's favor through their own performance, well, they're not resting trustfully in the work of Christ on the cross. Hypothetically, a person could enter into favor with God if, and there's a big if, if they perfectly obey the law. And this is what Paul is saying when he cites Leviticus 18.5. The man who does these things, the person who obeys the law in its entirety, will live by them. However, Scripture and our own experience show us that we are incapable of obeying the law. We're faced with a dilemma. You see, Adam's sin brought condemnation for everyone. By disobeying God, he willfully chose to live independent of him. And as a result, his rebellion separated him from God. And he became a slave to sin. As natural-born descendants of Adam, you and I have inherited this sinful nature. We're born with a nature that is an, at enmity with God. We're separated from him, and we are slaves to sin. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. We can't even obey the strange laws that are on the books in Arizona. And we think that we can perfectly observe and follow and obey all the laws of God. Well, thankfully, Colossians tells us that through Christ, God has reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you and I, who were once far away from God. We were enemies, separated from Him by our evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has re reconciled us to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He has brought you and me back into His presence. And that's what reconciled means. It means to be brought back into right standing before God. We are holy and blameless as we stand before God without a single fault. And it's not because of us obeying the law, but it's because of what Christ has done in us putting our faith in that. It says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. See, God gave both the law and the promise. The law was given as a guardian. It was given to point us to God's righteous standard. But it never brings us life. Its purpose is to condemn us. It's like if we were looking into a mirror. It exposes and it reveals the sinfulness of our heart. In Romans chapter 5, we read, God's law was given so that 
all people could see how sinful they were. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows how sinful we are. Well, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of the TV commercial in which a security guard is standing in the bank as a robbery is being uh, committed. You've probably all seen it. I think we have a clip. We can go ahead and play that. Oh, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. I only notify people if there's a robbery. There's a robbery. Why monitor a problem if you don't fix it? And so that's what the law does. It monitors. It's like a mirror. It shows us that we are sinful. Just as you, you look in a physical mirror and you see that your hair's messed up, we see that our life is messed up, our actions are messed up. And the thing about the law, it does show us that, it reveals that to us so that we don't have an excuse, but it's powerless to do anything about it. It's powerless to make us righteous. Steve Goss, who's the International Director of Freedom in Christ Ministries, he put it this way. He says, obedience to the law doesn't make you righteous. It can only make you nice. So if you follow the law, it doesn't make you righteous. It only makes you nice. And the Judaizers, they wanted to bring the believers back into the law. And so Paul forms his argument, and he quotes the law. And because the Jews magnified the place of Abraham in their religion, he uses Abraham as his first witness. And so he begins by quoting Moses to show that God's righteousness was placed in Abraham's account only because he believed God's promise. We read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You see, this happened before Abraham was circumcised. And it happened 430 years before the law was given to Moses. So we see that the promise came before the law. The meaning of the word counted here in this scripture in Galatians 6, 3.6 is the same that we find in, in Genesis 15.6 and also in Romans 4.22 and 24. It says, because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, had, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You see, that word means to put into one's account. And so when the sinner places his trust in Christ, God imputes the righteousness of Christ to that person's account. 
And the sins that this person has committed, the sinner has committed, are blotted out. They're no longer in his account. They've been paid in full. The Jewish people were very proud of the relationship that they had with Abraham. But the trouble was, they thought that this relationship guaranteed them eternal salvation. And some people still imagine that salvation is inherited. They think if mother and father are godly people, that the the children will automatically be saved. But this isn't true. We all come into this world with a sinful nature, and we all must make a decision to accept what Christ has done for us by faith. Someone rightly said, God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. So question number three, how do we come into a right relationship with God? We read in Romans 3, 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And so if the law brings us under condemnation, it brings us under the curse of God, how can we be set free from that curse? Paul tells us in Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, that Jesus became a curse for us. He writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That word redeemed is used when you buy back a slave, and when you buy back his freedom. Well, Christ has redeemed us. We were all slaves to sin, and his blood on the cross paid that price, and we have been redeemed. We are now spotless and holy before God. The price that Christ paid was the only one sufficient for us. It was the only one that would redeem us. Peter writes in his first epistle, chapter 1 and verse 19, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And he's giving the picture here of the atoning Lamb, the Lamb of Atonement, where your sins are placed upon this sacrificial lamb as you lay your hand upon it. And so what he's showing is that it's through Jesus Christ, our propitiation, our sacrifice, that substitutional atoning sacrifice that Christ made on the cross that takes away our sin. God chose him as your ransom long ago before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that's not the curse that was upon him. 
It's the curse that was upon us. He was, our sin was transferred to Christ and he took it voluntarily upon himself and he bore that penalty of sin. Paul now adds scriptural confirmation to what he had just said concerning the cross as he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You see, criminals executed under the law of Moses were usually stoned, and then their body was hung on a tree as a symbol of divine rejection. A person who was under the curse of God was hung on a tree. Perhaps now you can see and appreciate why the Jews had such a hard time accepting that Jesus was the Messiah. Because how could the Messiah, the anointed one of God, instead of reigning on a throne, how could he be hung on a tree? This is a, an obstacle to their faith, a stumbling block, as it were. Until they saw that the curse that Christ bore was not his, but it was theirs. Christ did not die for his own sins. He became a curse for our wrongdoing. And he redeemed us that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, the curse of the law is lifted because of our faith in Christ. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. And it's when we place our trust in Christ, we're saved by grace, through faith. It's a gift of God. None of us can earn His grace or His favor. Ephesians says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by work, so that no one can boast. And I love how Dr. James Kennedy defined faith so simple he said faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the gift of eternal life he stresses the adverb to indicate that the gift of life is received by trusting Jesus Christ plus nothing else faith is looking to Christ alone for the gift of eternal life and so today, the challenge for us from this passage is quite clear. We must renounce the foolish notion that we can establish our own right standing or our own righteousness because that could never happen. You and I are incapable of obeying the law. Instead, we must come humbly to the cross of Christ where he bore the curse of God for us. God loves us, and he wants to have that relationship with us. That's the reason we were created, is for fellowship. Before the foundation of the world, God already had in plan to send his son to come into this world. But our sin has separated us from God. 
And the sin cannot be removed by our behavior. By changing our behavior, we cannot become righteous. It's only by faith that we are saved. In the Gospel of John, we read that God loved the world. That's you and me. And he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to come and to die in our place for our sins. Our sins were placed upon him and his righteousness was imputed upon us so that if we would believe in him, we would not perish but have eternal life. The Bible tells us clearly that if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. You see, the gospel isn't based on men's philosophy, but it's founded on two historical events. Jesus Christ was crucified, and he died for our sins on a Roman cross. He was that atoning sacrifice, that propitiation for our sin. And he was raised to life three days later by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he offers eternal life to everyone who will believe and place their trust in Christ. And that's the promise. Right now, right where you're sitting, you can place your trust in Christ and know that you will receive this eternal life that he has promised. Promises for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And it's a gift that's offered by grace that you and I could never earn. You can pray this prayer with me this morning if you'd like to place your trust in Christ. God, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I've been trying to live my life without you, but I need you in my life. And so I open up my heart to Jesus today and I confess that Jesus Christ died for all of my sins on the cross at Calvary and I also believe that he rose from the dead on the third day just like the Bible said he would thank you for forgiving me and for loving me and I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward in the fellowship of the church Amen This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.